Hi, I'm Nat. And I'm Lizzie. And welcome to The Third Space, a podcast for youth workers by youth workers to talk about the highs and lows of working with young folks in spaces outside of school and home. It's happening. It is. Um, okay, great. So like all great youth workspaces, uh, we're going to start off with a check-in. Um, so we're going to do names and pronouns, um, your astrological situation, of course. Um, and because this is the first one, we'll do a little bit about you. And our check-in question of the day, because we're starting off strong, um, is what does being a youth worker mean to you? So let's start with you. Great. Uh, my name is Nat Duran. I My pronouns are they, them. My astrological situation is all of the air in the world. I am an Aquarius sun, Gemini rising, Libra moon. And oh, a little bit about me. I'm a youth <laughs> worker. Um, I've come this, I trained in undergrad as a high school English teacher found my way there from there to residential youth work, working with older um, youth in care, preparing to emancipate at the age of 21, and then moved on to a statewide nonprofit doing youth leadership work with LGBTQ young folks throughout the state. Um, and what does being a youth worker mean to me? Uh, wow. That is a really deep question that I should have given more thought to before this moment, right? Um, I feel like it means flexibility and enthusiasm and enjoying being with young folks, being in community with young folks, working with young folks, recognizing the inherent just power and fierceness within young folks and sincerely enjoying um, helping them achieve the goals that they set for themselves and, and advocating for themselves. Um, that was a really roundabout answer. That was great. That's because I answer everything in really roundabout ways. <laughs> that was great. Uh, cool. So I'm Lizzie Appleby. Uh, my pronouns are she and her. I am a cancer with a Virgo rising and a Scorpio moon double water. It's great. And I am a licensed clinical social worker by training. Um, I have primarily worked in service learning and youth leadership programming. Now I work for a medium, middling-sized um, nonprofit community-based organization running a couple of programs, one for LGBTQ young people 4 through 24, and one teaching sex ed in schools as well as some out of schools. Um, and what does being a youth worker mean to me? Uh, this happens to me every time I lead a check-in. I come up with a question and I haven't thought about it. Uh, what is being youth, youth for? I like, I feel like a lot of the things that you said, which are really about like genuinely enjoying young people, um, and just like their humor and attitude and energy and passion and ideas. Um, and I think like honoring that part of life as, meaningful like the search for who you are like I think seeing that as like a really valiant I think lifelong struggle but like really engaging with young people as though that is like meaningful and serious and should be taken seriously 
Um, and I think like also I've been asked recently about like what differentiates a youth worker and a social worker. And those are two identities I hold to very strongly. Mm-hmm. And I work with a lot of folks that are social workers that don't identify with as youth workers because they're therapists. Um, and to me, I think like when I have my youth work hat on, I'm thinking about like I'm always prioritizing youth autonomy um, and youth decision making. And not that I don't do that when I have my therapist hat on, um, but I think I do it in a different way. Um, and youth worker zone. So that's something we can probably tease apart in a later episode. Um, but that's what I got for a check-in. So now that we've arrived in this space, I'm going to hand it over to you. Okay. So every episode we are going to include an icebreaker. To be fair, we may occasionally repeat these because, um, the icebreaker list is only so long. Um, but this way we hope to incorporate activities that folks can use in their own youth spaces. And we welcome all of the suggestions and recommendations for icebreakers, because if a good teacher is a good thief, a good youth worker is an even better one. Um, so please feel free to share those with us. We'll be sharing our contact information at the end of the episode. Um, for today, we are going to lean on an oldie but a goodie of two truths and a lie. Um, again, always a favorite of mine, uh, because it's really easy to just think of two true statements rather than have to feel creative on the spot, which is kind of my nightmare. Um, the instructions for two truths and a lie is that you're introducing yourself. You give three declarative statements about your life, two of which are true, one of which is made up, and then your partner and as a paired exercise has to guess which statement is false. So Lizzie, are you ready for two truths and a lie? Um, like maybe, can you give me five seconds though, to write down, I do this with young people. Can you give me five seconds to write down sure. what my two truths Let's and a lie take are? Cause otherwise moment. I end up always doing them in the order of two truths and a lie. And then it's easy to guess. Ah, fair so. point. Because it's always easier for me to think of true statements. Someday we'll have a budget for sound effects. Excuse me. (laughs) Are you saying that my sound effects are not? I think they're great. They're really great. We can just magnify the sound of Spike digging into the closet. Boom, boom. Okay. No? Go for it. Am I going first? Sure. I can go first. Great. You model. Sure. Um, okay. I have had four cars that were named after different characters in the Spider-Man franchise. I have always, in my entire lifetime had at least one cat in the home and for three years in a row in elementary school, I dressed up as a teenage mutant ninja turtle, always the same one, which is a true statement or which is the false statement. Lizzie Appleby. Is it the first one? No. Is it the last one? No. You haven't always had a cat? Mm-mm. Y'all, this is embarrassing. <laughs> Wait. 
Uh, well, I assume this. See, the other two seemed very true, but then I thought maybe it was too obvious that they were true. Mm. That's really sad that you haven't always had a cat. I'm sorry to I hear know. that. It was it was a rough go. Wow. Mm-hmm. Wow. Which Ninja Turtle? Donatello. Oh, great! I'm sure everyone was wondering. I was too. Um. All right. My turn. It would be a different Ninja Turtle if I chose today, but that's fine. Which one would you choose now? Probably Raphael. Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, okay. Here are my two truths and a lie. Mm-hmm. Um, I still own and have not yet finished a book of crossword puzzles that I purchased at the airport when I was 10. Um, I got my first pet as a goldfish that I received as a prize from field day, which I named field day. And, you know, and how old were you? Young. Mm -hmm. And I Really, really, really enjoyed the Fast and the Furious movies. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm going to have to go with Field Day as the false statement. False. Dang it! I did have a fish named Field Day, and it was my first pet. I've never seen the Fast and Furious movie. Got it. That was a good one for friends at home. I love action movies. I was so. going to say. I'm just really crafty like that. Uh, so, there you have it, friends. Two truths. And why? All right. So every week we're hoping to incorporate a story that centers around the episode's theme. And this week, as all good beginnings to groups will have, uh, group agreements or guidelines, which is our theme. And we are all fortunate enough <laughs> to have Lizzie here to share a story around those with us. Okay. Um, So my story, and I guess we should say as a disclaimer, um, that we are going to share stories about our own personal experiences and also about our experiences as youth workers, but obviously identifying information and like important details about people have been changed to preserve confidentiality. Um, But we did just want to mention that, um, in the story. So this um, story centers around a young person who we'll call Caitlin, um, who is a young person that I worked with in program several years ago. Um, She and I were pretty close. I worked with her on, she came to my programs regularly. I was working with her on some issues she was having with school and family and some other things. So Um, so we were pretty involved. Like, so she came to my weekly programs, but like, I also spent a lot of time with her outside of program. Um, and we, I was running a weekly drop-in social group. So basically the purpose of the group was just to help people meet other people, like all teenagers, mostly high school students. Um, and like meet other people, make friends, like build positive relationships, that kind of thing. So typically I gave Caitlin a ride because that was back in the day when we still absorbed the liability of transportation. And I was, I typically would pick Caitlin up at our house and then bring her to program with me. So this particular week, um, Caitlin had texted me being like, yeah, like I don't need a ride to program. Like I'll meet you there. And I was like, okay, great. So it was movie night. We were watching a movie. Um, and in the context, so we like all met, we started with our check-in. 
um, and had started the movie and Caitlin still hadn't shown up yet, which is kind of weird, but I was like, whatever, like, I don't know what's going on. And, um, and so we were started the movie. Everybody was like quiet. We were in like a weird community meeting room space. It wasn't like super conducive to movie watching, um, board table, but anyway, and all of a sudden, like Caitlin shows up and Caitlin shows up with Emma, who I believe was a romantic interest at the time. Um, and they show up and they kind of like walk in and I, they say hi and like they sit down, but like, it just feels weird. Mm-hmm. Um, and Caitlin and Emma sit down to watch the movie. But then at some point, like there's lots of like giggling at some point, somebody ends up like on the floor under the table, like, and it just becomes immediately pretty obvious upon looking at their eyeballs that they are incredibly high, like have just shown up like soups high and it is supposed to be like a substance-free space. And I know that I've had conversations and I'd had conversations before with Caitlin about substance use. So it's not like that was the issue. It was more so that like we had said like that this space was supposed to be substance-free. Um, and Emma, I had met like maybe once before, but like really didn't have any relationship with. And it was my first time where that had happened. It was my mm-hmm. first time that people had shown up to program under the influence. I wasn't really sure like what to do. Um I didn't want to be like overly, you know, whatever, but I could tell it was also making other people in the group uncomfortable. That was going to be my question. Yeah. It's like, how was everyone else in the room? Right. So it's definitely making other people in the room uncomfortable. Um, And towards the end of like when our time was up, you know, I pulled Caitlin aside and I was like, hey, you're high. Like, how are you getting home? Like, because that's what I was really worried about was like safe ride home. I was like, well, if you're here, like nothing untoward is happening to you. So um and as it turns out they had a friend who was coming to get them she was like I swear my friend is sober like whatever and I was like okay and they left and then next week before program I texted Caitlin which we would do like we would regularly meet before program to have dinner like at a fast food restaurant um to talk about some of the other stuff that was going on and I texted her and I was like hey like why don't I meet you I'll pick you up we'll go to dinner um we went got dinner sat down and I was like, so Caitlin, last week. And she was just like, oh my God, I know. Like, I shouldn't have done it. I'm so sorry. Like, like, oh, like I know. And I was like, yeah, like it's not, you can't show up high to program. Like, that's not appropriate. Like, you can't do that. It's like, we've already talked about it. Like, you know, it's not like a judgment. It's not like you can't do that on your own time. But like, this is not an appropriate space. And she was just like, yes, like totally. I totally agree. Um. And she was like, it won't happen again. And I was like, okay, great. And it never did. It never did happen again. It was like, felt like a super positive, constructive conversation. And I saw Emma later also, but I never, I never addressed it with Emma. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know whether I know, you know, and I don't really know what happened with Emma. I wasn't really close to her, but I think that when we were thinking about this, like sort of theme of group guidelines or group agreements or boundary setting or whatever, um, I thought of that story from this perspective of like, on the one hand, like this was an opportunity to have a conversation about group guidelines that went really well. Like I felt like my conversation with Caitlin was super productive, super constructive. But on the other hand, I didn't ever address it at all with Emma. And like, I still feel bad about that, that I like never did it. And then sort of clearly there's a difference in relationship, but it always like, to me, it brings up this idea of like whether or not it's even possible to have group guidelines or group agreements with young people that you don't have a relationship with. And like, is it even worth it to set those group agreements in that 
context. So that's my question that I lead you to my story. Um, about that. Well, I don't know if it's an answer to the question, but as you were talking, right, I feel like often what is proclaimed as best practice, right, is especially at the beginning of a group when you are setting, right, you're doing the tone setting. Oh, that no, the question I had for you is um, at the time, was this group like were group guidelines kind of like preset? Were they developed? collaboratively like were the young folks participants in that or what did that look like I mean most of them yeah but I think right and this is like a whole different question about the role of group guidelines and boundaries in a drop-in space right versus a space that's like a coherent group right it's very it's much easier to have those boundaries in the space where you see the same people every week right versus like and that was why it was so easy to have that conversation with Caitlin, because Caitlin had been a part of the group who had decided what the rules were, right. but Emma was never a part of that conversation. So we had them posted in this space. We talked about them at the beginning of group every time, but like, I don't know if Emma had been to that space or like a different event or like whatever. Right. So she never been like saw them, well, you know, or like, the, did and, she know? And can I hold her accountable if she didn't know? Well, and I also, and I say this fully admitting to have never worked in a drop-in space. Like when I hear drop-in, I think like, right, kind of like open house situation. Like you come and you go per your desires, right? In which case, like, all right, even if group guidelines are reviewed at the beginning of every session, while the folks are coming in after that, I would just imagine it's very hard to build, um, build a sense of community in that setting, right? Um, Or at least like cohesive, consistent community like that yeah Um, well and i think right then over time right so over time as the same people come over and over again because you have that relationship it's easier to have those conversations right but then again you have these people who maybe come for the first time who've never come before who like come come, like maybe once this month and once in six months like how do i hold those people accountable in the same way or can you like maybe it's not even possible yeah Well, and I will fully admit, I think that I, you know, in the various youth spaces I've worked in, I, there have always been kind of at least a baseline expectation of, or at least like a semblance, something appearing to be like group guidelines, group agreements, whether it was, you know, set by the powers that be, and this is the expected kind of like code of behavior or it's the, hey, these are what were developed by young people who preceded this particular group of young people, but are like rooted in the values of, right, like this team of folks who do this work. Um, I think I readily admit like that often that I, there have been more than one occasion where I have found myself recognizing that like, oh, we say that these are group agreements or group guidelines. I think with the expectation that it falls to the larger group, like the, this, this ability to hold one another accountable to them falls to the group, but then no one is doing that. Right. And so, and, and, and then I, <laughs> of course, like internalize it. It's like, I'm not doing my job. I'm not like reminding folks that these are what they are. We're not covering this at the beginning of each like meeting or session or what have you. 
Um, yeah. And so, and then I, th- and then, and then I try to remind myself that we don't need perfection as a construct, right? <laughs> it, it doesn't exist that we cannot expect ourselves to behave perfectly all of the time. And yet I still end up feeling really bad when I don't come back to the young folks that I do have relationships with, with whom it, you know, like based on your story seems that it would be easier to, um, come back to them after the fact and be like, Hey, like this happened. Let's talk about it. Let's in like improve or come to like repair any harm that may have happened or whatnot. Um, well, I feel like there's like so many things. And yeah. What you just sorry. Said. Yeah. No, sorry. there are just that- <laughs> like lots of things and I'm like pausing for the cause. Cause I yeah. feel like there were so many, th- like one, I think it's just even what we call them. Right. Like, so I have mm-hmm. learned, like I learned when I was like trained to call them group agreements mm-hmm. um, or even calling them group, group guide, group, group guidelines, mm-hmm. group guidelines. Um, but I also think like, but it's interesting now in the program that I run, we have like a membership model, which basically means that we, inc- so we have lots of different kinds of programs and everybody who joins a program, regardless of what kind, whether it's like a support group or a leadership thing or whatever, that they all get the same six group agreements slash program policies. And that's how they're Mm. listed now. Right. And I feel like, and it was this weird moment for me when I was like writing that section, because for friends at home, um, I was in a much smaller kind of like, not like much less structured organization. And now the organization I'm in is much bigger and much more structured. And so therefore like my procedures got lots more structured. Right. Um, and so, you know, we never had, like, I never had that before and now we call them and it feels weird to write this like group agreement slash program policies. And like, were they developed with young people? Yes. Like I did sit down with a group of young people who are like leaders in my program. And we did talk about like, what are the most important policies? And some of them do feel more like, I think what we think of as like group agreements, like there's you know, don't yuck my yum, which is one of our faves, mm-hmm. um, which basically means if you are not familiar with the phrase, don't yuck my yum, um, basically means that like, if I say that I love peanut butter and jelly sandwiches and Nat thinks those are gross. Oh, gross. Yeah. Nat doesn't Ooh. tell me that. Nat just says something nicely like, um, oh, that's an interesting combo. Have you ever tried peanut butter and bananas? Right. And at example. the very least says yeah that wasn't a really great it was a, it was not bad it just like feel like at the very least doesn't go like you those are gross but just says i'm actually i prefer yeah peanut butter and banana so like that's listed as like a group agreement slash program policy for my whole program but like so is like no sexual contact in the building um it does say handholding and hugging before anyone accuses me of being sex negative it does say <laughs> that handholding and hugging is fine Um, And we do explain it as like not being a judgment. It's just that like when we're in group space, it's about the group and we don't want anyone to feel excluded or uncomfortable. Um, So, yeah. As you were talking, well, in that, like the explanation of the why behind it, I think is really important. And to me, that kind of, as you were talking, as you were sharing your story, as we've been just like talking through like, well, what are the roles of group agreements? 
Um, it feels very much like a grounding space to which, you know, um, the organiz one of the organizations that I've worked for has spent a lot of time talking about and, and moving towards becoming a more values driven organization and that there was always this felt sense of what values were, but they were never named. And as we went through the process of actually naming those, it becomes easier in moments of conflict to have an anchor mm. to return to, right? Which, which is then what came up for me as you were talking about group agreements, right? And it's tied to accountability and it's tied to like, well, why like even why are these the group agreements and why do, or the program policies or you know um why do these exist and after you know so it was it was easier for me after that values process unfolded to then go and group the youth developed group agreements per the organization's mm -hmm. values right and so then it gives a clear connection to like well, but this is why, because it is that grounding force, because it is going to be like the, the values or the guidelines or what have you are always going to be this anchor that we return to, to kind of, right, determine, um, to answer questions or help guide us in moments of conflict or uncertainty, yeah. right? Ooh, I'm just like thinking, <laughs> just like processing. I just like love that idea, I think, of like, that because I think the reality is right. Like our agreements or our policies change right. like that. Sometimes we write policies for things later because like, cause like shit happens. It's like not in the policy, right? Like stuff happens right. and you're like, there is no policy for that. Right. right. Like we can write policies till our faces turn blue or red, purple. And I don't know. Fingers. What? <laughs> which part of us is I don't know I don't know but like we can write policies all day long right and like the reality is stuff is still going to happen that doesn't fit in those policies but I think having a set of values is some is almost more compelling because it helps people become more independent right which I think brings mm. us back to that concept that you were talking about earlier about like whose job is it to enforce the group agreements right and our like dream of group agreements right is that it's not just the adult in the front of the room. Well, hopefully there's not an adult in the front of the room. <laughs> right. <laughs> Everyone right. just like look scandalized. Um, <laughs> but like, but I mean, right. But that's like, that's what we're pushing back against, right? We're pushing back against models where adults are in the front of the room. They're the ones making all the decisions, enforcing all the rules and punishing people when they don't follow the rules. Right. And I think the model of youth work that you and I both hold to is one where young people are partners in the work, right? Yeah. And part of the work with a group, regardless of the purpose of that group, is is to function as a group, right? Like that's one of the purposes. Mm -hmm. And so having group agreements and holding people accountable to those is a is one of the functions of every group member, right? An essential function. But I think it's hard, it's much easier. I think it's hard to do that when we it helps people act more independently when they have a value with which to associate the behavior with right rather than just just a behavior right it's not like i need to know what to do in every single situation it's that right. i'm guided by this value right um right and i think that's such an interesting way to think about it and it's very different i think than the way that we often set those guidelines or policies or agreements 
Yeah, well, and which is why it's so, to use your word, right, compelling, or or why I think I feel such, um, like, just affinity and appreciation for youth workspaces, right? Like, as someone who, tra- and this is not, please trust, like, this is not me shitting on teachers. I love educators. I love, I think they have incredibly difficult jobs, and I am, like, you know, in complete solidarity with unions and all of that thing. And yet I know as someone who came up through teaching, like when they teach you like classroom management or you're learning those like methods and approaches, it is very much, yes, it can be like student centered, youth centered, but also it doesn't surprise me when I go into school buildings that it feels so much typically in a spaces where you have like one or two adults responsible for like large groups of students, like what you see employed is methods of control. And to say like, well, actually we are going to guide behavior based like rooted in values versus that, like that is, that is flipping Mm. that. And because I think people recognize really quickly that if you're not, yes, you can have policies per a space or an organization or whatnot, Um, and you can even like hold those really strictly, but some of the most like magical youth work moments I have seen have been in those spaces where a power is shared, B, you have the buy-in of the young folks in that space and are, who are holding, who are holding those values and holding one another accountable to that. Um, and there isn't control, like there's not control being, um, enforced or employ or what or what have you uh, like exercised mm-hmm. on young people so much as there is um this transparency and this explanation as to like well this is why these rules exist this way and this is why you know um this is why they're functioning this way i don't know i feel like i had like a brilliant point that i was like on my way to and then i got lost in my air <laughs> um so yeah yeah I think like one thing just like I don't know maybe one of the last thoughts I have around group agreements is the idea of like planning planning for things to go wrong so one Mm -hmm. super fab youth worker that trained me um, would always talk about creating a backup plan at the same time that we create group agreements right which I think is actually a different way to try to solve for the same problem as doing like a values-based group agreement. Because I think the problem that I think you and I have danced around a little bit Mm. is the idea that like, A, you can't police every situation, right? Like you can't create, and I mean police loosely, but like you can't create a policy or group agreement to account for every, every possible situation. Right. B, I think... The infinite hypotheticals that everyone wants to get mired in and it's just impossible. Right. Like, we can never do that, right? So we can't create group agreements for every situation. And B, the reality is people in community hurt each other. We can group agreement all day long and it's not going to protect us from conflict. Right. And group agreements really, while I think our goal is to reduce unnecessary conflict, right, or conflict intentional conflict group agreements don't prevent interpersonal conflict from occurring and so so what i learned what she always taught me was to do a backup plan and to talk about um 
you know, and to have a conversation about like, what are we going to do when somebody hurts another person? Um, you know, and there are some like cute group agreements for that, right? There's like the oops, ouch rule where you're supposed to say, oops, if somebody hurts you or no, oops, if you think you hurt somebody else and ouch, if somebody hurts you and there's like kind of like a, not like call and response, but I think there's sort of a component of that. I also recently saw somewhere burn an aloe, which I liked a lot. Mm -hmm. Um, but, and I will try to look up the sources of that and I will put it, I will link it somewhere that you will be able to find. We haven't figured that out yet. Um, but I will. So that we are appropriately crediting sources. But um, I think that the idea of a backup plan is just recognizing that that's inevitable. And so, um, and even just to name that it's okay, right? Like it's okay for conflict to happen in a space. Yeah. Which I think could be so, like as someone who is fully recognizes how conflict averse I am, right? Which I think then returns to that idea of why it is so hard for me sometimes to follow up with young folks, to hold them accountable to the group agreement and all of the things, right? Is that I imagine, well, what would it have been like if as a young Nat, right? That I saw an adult who I trusted and respected and whom I really enjoyed working with, like saying like, right, there will always be conflict, right? Like modeling exactly that, right? And saying like, and it's also not the end of the world if this happens, because we can still care for one another through it. And we can repair, like, by, by naming that it is inevitably going to happen, and by demonstrating that there are ways to come back from it, right? Um, yeah, like, I, what, what important skill building, right, for all humans to have, much less um, young folks. Who's okay, and I mean, I feel like we barely scratched the surface um, on that conversation about group agreements, guidelines, policies, whatever you want to call them. Um, so yeah, please feel free to email us, um, info at airandwaterwork.com, um, with your ideas, what you call them. We would love more suggestions on what to call them. If you have like a really rocking name. Um, yeah. And like we were realizing, I think how much there is to talk about. So if there are particular questions or scenarios or things that have come up for you, please share those with us. Um, so that we can, you know, get more out of it and be directed towards what people are interested in talking more about. So we are going to close up our discussion with a takeaway um, or a closing, which is one way that I often close um, youth spaces. We're going to keep it pretty simple today um, by just sharing one thought or idea or something that's sticking with us from the conversation that you um, heard today. So I can go first. I'll model, um, (laughs) what I'm taking away. Um, yeah, I think like I'm taking away the, the thinking through of like what the values are behind group agreements and the importance of articulating those values as a strategy for empowering people for action. Um, we have a youth leadership group who, one of the things we've struggled with in the past is we, when they plan and host social events, helping them um, think through the strategies for making sure our space is a welcoming space. And I think making that really articulate as a value, right. That we value being 
like kind of what I call radical hospitality, right? Mm. I'm borrowing that from church space, but um, and faith communities. But I think like that that's a value for us. And so how do we live that out? And so that's kind of the action step that I'm taking away with me today. Yeah, I think I am taking away the importance of language, which feels funny when we're just like group agreements or group guidelines or whatever it is that you call them. (laughs) But um, especially as you were talking about how your members go through kind of like this intake and they are provided the group guidelines slash program policies. Right. And and as my the group of youth leaders that I currently work most frequently with, as they embark kind of on this restructuring program, the thought of, well, what do we solidify and actually incorporate into, like turn into something more akin to policy versus like group guidelines that we might do in our larger youth leadership events? And how do we differentiate between them? And how do we talk about them and communicate them? Um, for like the in-group versus like the public facing spaces. So awesome. Yeah. And that's it for our first ever episode of the third space. Um, if you enjoyed us, we'd love to see you next time for our episode on group openers and closers. Um, and obviously please feel free to rate and review on whatever your favorite podcast app that you might use is. In future, we'd love to have listener questions and ideas for future episodes. So please, episodes, not episodes. So please feel free to send us a message um, via the Anchor app, or you can email us um, a voice memo or text to info at airandwaterwork.com. And for all the youth workers out there, um, just to leave you on a high note, to remember that we know the work is hard um, and we see you and we appreciate you and we know all that you're doing. Um, So just remember. You rock.